When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. The local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Explicit content is found in this episode, so listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to the True Crime Fan Club Podcast. I'm your host, Lainey. Life in small-town Texas is always considered safe until it's not. One family was ripped apart, and the case introduced new technology using firewood. Okay, on to the show. Farmersville, Texas is a small town in Texas northeast of Dallas. The town has less than 3,500 citizens, the most notable of which being Tex Watson, one of the Manson family members who attended school in the Farmersville Independent School District. Stevie Benton, the bassist for the group Drowning Pool, grew up in Farmersville and attended the local high school. Lastly, Audie Murphy, the most decorated United States hero of World War II, grew up in the area. Farmersville is the epitome of a quiet rural town with low crime rates. Therefore, it was a shock in March 2004 when Rochelle O'Neill Tolleson went missing. Rochelle was a 20-year-old, newly single mom who was in the midst of an acrimonious divorce. Her daughter Avery was six months old and lived with Rochelle in a small rental house near the center of town. Late in the evening on March 17, 2004, Rochelle and her mother, Pam O'Neill, took Avery to the store with them, where they went to purchase diapers and formula. They returned to Pam's house and stayed for a short while before Rochelle complained of a sinus headache and went home to go to bed. When she and Avery reached her home, she called her mother to let her know they had arrived safely. The next morning, Pam went to Rochelle's house, something she did on a regular basis. Rochelle's car was in the driveway. There was a note from her landlord taped to her screen door, but the wooden back door was open. When Pam went inside, she noticed the house was in complete disarray. There was a pillow from the bed lying on the floor between the bedroom and the kitchen. Once Pam stepped into the bedroom, she knew something was wrong. The bedroom was completely out of order. The nightstand was pulled away from the wall. The mattress and box spring were partially off the bed and the headboard was broken and lying on the bed. Papers littered the floor, and in the middle of the chaos, baby Avery was on the bed, alone and wet. Pam picked up Avery, comforted her, and then called her husband Mark to let him know that Rochelle was missing. Mark contacted the Farmersville Police Department, who dispatched Officer Scott Collins to Rochelle's house. 
Officer Collins stated the bedroom appeared as if a fight had occurred and noticed that there were no signs of forced entry. On the floor, one of the scattered papers was Rochelle's divorce decree with a boot print on it. An investigation into the disappearance of Rochelle began that day, starting with interviews. A search party was also formed, with many of the town's citizens volunteering to search on ATVs and horses. The search continued for five days. Meanwhile, the investigation discovered that around the same time Rochelle and Avery had arrived home, a party was happening with Efren Gomez and Moises Sandoval Mendoza. There were several other people in attendance. Earlier that day, Efren, Moises, and two women had purchased two 30-packs and two 40-ounce cans of beer. Those two women left the party early and called Efren to let him know that they would not be returning. Moises was not happy about this and became angrier the more he drank. Moises said something to the other girls at the party, scaring them in the process. He told Efren he spoke to the girls in that manner because he could. Additionally, the investigation revealed that Rochelle had a party on the Friday before she disappeared. There were about 15 people there, including Moises. Moises had expressed an interest in dating Rochelle, but Rochelle had told her best friend, Megan Kennedy, that she was not interested in Moises that way. Police found out that a few days before her disappearance, Megan's boyfriend, Tim Holland, as well as Cody Wiltbanks and Moises, had gone to Rochelle's house to pick up some musical instruments. The door was locked, but as Tim and Cody were looking for a way in, Moises managed to unlock the back door. This information led Officer Collins to interview Moises next. During the interview, Moises was extremely fidgety. Six days after Rochelle Tolleson had gone missing, James Powell, an avid arrowhead collector, was combing the fields near Brushy Creek, about 10 miles east of Farmersville. As he walked the banks of the creek, James stumbled across a burned corpse that was lying face down. James notified the authorities, and an FBI evidence technician, Jerry Farmer, was one of the first to arrive on scene. He reported that tall grass had been placed on the body in order to conceal it. The body was scorched black in some places and was yellow in places where the skin had split. The body was in a badly decomposed state, and Agent Farmer used the larvae and maggots around her head and neck to determine that she had been in that location for approximately two days. Her hair had been burned off, and there was only burned clothing on the upper part of the torso, but there was no clothing below her waist. Evidence that she had been dragged to this location included tarp grommets on the back of her left leg and head and an orange rope tied to her right ankle. Additionally, there were burnt pieces of tarp and skin between a dugout where something had been burned and the body. In the dugout, technicians found a clump of hair, firewood, more orange rope, and more pieces of tarp and skin in addition to ashes. Vicki Pickett, an investigator with the Farmersville PD, was tasked with making the notification to the next of kin. Vicki had spent many hours with Pam in the preceding week and was loath to have to tell Pam that they had potentially found Rochelle's body. But Pam could not see her to say goodbye due to the condition the body was in. They soon had a positive identification of the body through dental records. 
the medical examiner, Dr. William Rohr, performed the autopsy and found that Rochelle had what appeared to be a deep knife wound in her neck, which went down to her spinal cord. Rochelle had numerous bruises on her scalp, thighs, and both sides of her tongue. Dr. Rohr concluded that Rochelle died of strangulation or another form of asphyxiation. She was already dead when she was set on fire. Investigators continued to interview witnesses, but in their opinion, the most viable suspect was Rochelle's estranged husband, Andrew Tolleson. Andrew was still in love with Rochelle and had not wanted to get a divorce. Coupled with the fact that the divorce decree was found in the floor of Rochelle's house, apparently stomped on, and law enforcement thought this one was in the bag. Andrew had an alibi for that evening. He had been at a party himself, but was so intoxicated that he had to have a friend drive him home, where he stayed all night. However, since the party had been a bonfire, police were still interested. They retrieved what remained of the logs and sent them to the University of Tennessee for testing. In the meantime, Moises had told his friend, Stacy Marie Garcia, that he had killed Rochelle. Moises said he had gone to Rochelle's house after the party and picked her up, alleging that Rochelle had left with him willingly. However, the disarray at Rochelle's house led police to believe she had not left the house willingly. After searching Rochelle's house, where they found the divorce decree with the boot print, Moises Mendoza was arrested on March 24th and held in the Collin County Jail on a $500,000 bond. He also had three arrest warrants from aggravated robbery charges in Dallas. While being questioned, Moises told investigators he had gone to Rochelle's house after the party, backed into her driveway, and then entered her house without knocking. Moises said Rochelle left with him willingly to get a pack of cigarettes, even though investigators found cigarettes in her house. Moises drove around for a while until he suddenly choked Rochelle for no reason. After Rochelle passed out, Moises drove to an area behind his house and raped the unconscious Rochelle. He choked her again, dragged her out of the trunk, then choked her once more, thinking she was dead. However, he decided to stab her to make sure. Rochelle's body was still in this field when he was first interviewed by police. Moises moved the body after he was first questioned. The logs at the University of Tennessee were being researched by Henry Grissino Mayer, who was a specialist in the study of tree rings to date old wood and reconstruct climate patterns. This science is called dendrochronology and has been used as far back as the Lindbergh baby kidnapping. The man who was charged and executed for the kidnapping and murder of the Lindbergh baby, Bruno Hauptmann, was convicted partially on evidence from the wood used to make the ladder. The tree ring patterns in boards found in Hauptmann's attic matched the patterns in the ladder Hauptmann made and used to climb the window. You guys, I don't know why I've waited so long to get HelloFresh. It's seriously such a great service. I have been traveling quite a bit this year due to podcast life, and HelloFresh has saved my husband from eating takeout every single day. HelloFresh makes cooking delicious meals at home a reality, regardless of your comfort in the kitchen. There's something for everyone, from family recipes to calorie smart and vegetarian, and fun menu series like 
Hall of Fame, and Kraft Burgers. HelloFresh is flexible to your lifestyle. So since I was traveling for about a week, I added some extra meals to my weekly order and even added a yummy add-on of cookie dough for my husband's sweet tooth. You can also easily change your delivery days, food preference, and skip a week whenever you need. For a limited time only, get nine free meals with HelloFresh. Go to hellofresh.com TCFC9 and enter TCFC9 to get nine free meals. Once again, to get your nine free meals with HelloFresh, go to hellofresh.com TCFC9. I've talked before about how safety is really important to me, especially since buying a new home. A recent Gallup survey shows Americans worry more about burglary than almost any other crime, more than mugging, more than terrorism, and more than car theft and murder, if you can believe it. There are over 2 million burglaries reported every single year, and that's one every 13 seconds. And what's crazy is that only one in five homes have home security. Maybe because most companies really don't make it easy. One of the things that's always prevented me from getting home security is the idea that it's super expensive. I think about being charged hundreds of dollars to, you know, have an alarm beep or have the police come to my house. And I always think, yeah, sure, it's worth it. But is it something I can afford right now? And the answer is usually always no. That's until I found Simply Safe. And that's why Simply Safe is my top choice. Simply Safe protects your whole home, every window, room, and door with 24-7 monitoring for just a fraction of the cost. I think the days of contracts are coming to an end rather quickly, and with Simply Safe, there's no contract, hidden fees, or fine print. It's really easy to order and easy to set up, usually in under an hour. Prices are always fair and honest, and if you want around-the-clock monitoring, you just have to pay $15 a month, which is a steal, if you ask me. Visit simplysafe.com slash TCFCP. You'll get free shipping and a 60-day risk-free trial. You've got nothing to lose. Go now and be sure you go to simplysafe.com slash TCFCP so they know our show sent you. That's simplysafe.com slash TCFCP. Investigators sent Cresino 14 pieces of mesquite wood to inspect. This wood was taken from the burn pit close to where Rochelle was found, as well as from the bonfire where Moises had partied. Grissino felt hopeless at first, since mesquite does not form traditional tree rings. However, he had heard that at the University of Tennessee's Forest Product Center, laser technology was being used to determine the fingerprints of the wood. Grissino went to Oak Ridge, where he met with Madavi Martin. She agreed to run the laser technology on the 14 logs, though Grissino did not tell her which logs came from which scene. When she finished, there was a 99.99% match between the two sets of logs. The scientists agreed that the logs were either from the same tree or same corpse of trees. When investigators searched Mendoza's home, they discovered boots and jeans that were covered in ashes and reeked of gasoline. Forensic analyst Michael Villarreal made impressions of the boots, then compared the print visually. He looked for accidental characteristics, which are the way a shoe naturally wears down. These are fairly distinctive for each shoe a person wears. Michael found that the accidental characteristics of the boots match the partial print on the divorce decree. The jeans contained blood, 
which matched Rochelle's DNA. Moises' trial occurred in June 2005. During the trial, many of his friends and acquaintances testified to his growing aggression over the years. He was disrespectful to female teachers. Neighbors had witnessed Moises striking his mother and sisters, and other witnesses stated he had stolen from his family. Moises had also put a pill in a girl's drink at a party and then pulled a knife on the man who confronted him about it. Another time, Moises assaulted a 14-year-old girl on two separate occasions and videotaped the second time. He choked another girl for asking for a cigarette. Once, while he was on probation in Dallas County and wearing an electronic monitoring device, he cut the device off his ankle. Farouk Lodi, Moises' ex-girlfriend, told investigators that he had taken her to a place similar to where Rochelle's body had been found and attacked her. He punched her on the way there, and when she tried to break it off with him, he began stalking her. Moises was found guilty of capital murder and sentenced to death on July 1, 2005. He was the 12th defendant to receive the death penalty in Collin County since 1976. After the verdict was read, Rochelle's mother, Pam, read a statement in court to Moises. It said in part, You know what you have done. You took our only daughter, Austin's only sister, and more importantly, you took away Avery's mommy. In our eyes, you're worse than an animal. Not only have you hurt our entire family, but you've also torn apart your entire family. You took from Rochelle what she wanted most. She wanted more than anything in life to watch her baby take her first steps, say her first word, and she'll never get to hear her daughter call her mommy. During the closing statements, Moises' attorney said that he grew up in a dysfunctional family, which the prosecutor said shamed and blamed his own family. After the jury was dismissed, the families hugged and cried, including Moises' sister Elizabeth, who hugged Rochelle's mother Pam, asking her to forgive their family. Pam O'Neill said she would. She just needed time. At Rochelle Tullison's funeral on March 27, 2004, people crammed into the First Baptist Church. Rochelle was described as shy but a devoted mother. She had known Moises Mendoza from high school, but not that well. And in recent months, he had become interested in dating her. She was not interested in pursuing that type of relationship. Her estranged husband, Andrew, who had not wanted a divorce, released a statement saying that he still loved her. After Rochelle's death, the family began focusing on how they would keep her memory alive for her six-month-old daughter, Avery. Rochelle loved Christmas music and the Carpenters. Her favorite color was lavender, so after her funeral, lavender balloons were released from their front yard with handwritten notes to Rochelle. Rochelle had recently started talking about her future, going to college to become a teacher. She had started working on a scrapbook for Avery before she was murdered. Okay, fan club members, as I conclude this episode, my one question to you is, how will you sleep tonight? Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to leave us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or your podcast player of choice. It really does help us out. You can find us on most social media platforms, Twitter at TCFCPod, Facebook.com slash TCFCPodcast, 
You can also find us on Instagram, TCFC underscore podcast. And of course, our website is truecrimefanclub.com. If you have an episode request, send us an email, tcfcpod at gmail.com. This episode was produced by Nico at We Talk of Dreams. Check him out on Twitter at We Talk of Dreams or WeTalkOfDreams.com. This episode was researched and written by Suzanne St. John, content editing by Brittany Martinez. I'm your host, Lainey. Si tienes ciertas afecciones crónicas como enfermedad cardíaca, asma, diabetes, y tienes 19 años o más, 52, 36, 42, puedes estar en mayor riesgo de contraer la neumonía neumocósica. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico acerca de vacunarte con Prevnar 20, vacuna conjugada antineumocósica 20 valente, una vacuna de Pfizer que puede ayudar a proteger contra la neumonía neumocósica con una sola dosis. Prevnar 20 está aprobada para adultos para ayudar a prevenir infecciones contra 20 cepas de la bacteria que causa la neumonía neumocósica. La aprobación continua puede depender de un estudio de apoyo. No uses Prevnar 20 si has tenido una reacción alérgica grave a la vacuna o a sus componentes. Adultos con sistemas inmunitarios debilitados pueden tener una respuesta reducida a la vacuna. El efecto secundario más reportado fue dolor en el área de la inyección. Para más efectos secundarios comunes e información completa de prescripción, llama al 1-855-213-2138 o visita Prevnar20 en español.com. Pregunta a tu médico o farmacéutico sobre Prevnar20. When you buy a new house, you might say, Shut the front door. Winning. No, seriously, shut the front door. We own this house now. But you actually need to say, Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. That's right. Your local State Farm agent is there to help you choose the coverage you need. Welcome to my crib. <laughs> no one says that anymore, but I don't care. So just remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm, Bloomington, Illinois. Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov careers.